I think what I've learned for myself in my own life is that I am most joyful and most at peace, uh, closest to the heart of God when I am not viewing myself based on my performance. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Wednesdays with Watson podcast. We are in season three of the podcast, a season we are calling Trauma, Spaces, Places, and Aces. If you are new to the podcast, you may not know that this podcast is all about community. It is about community and helping us process trauma. It is about community and just doing life in general. It is about loving each other where we are and the broken places where we may find ourselves. This is a podcast that highlights trauma-informed counseling. And this season, not unlike other seasons, we will have experts come on. And the goal of that will be to provide ACEs for you, whether you are the person who have experienced trauma or you love someone who does. But most of all, this podcast is about the star of the story, Jesus, who makes all things new. And if you know my story at all, and if you don't, the first season covers that entire story, as well as one episode in the second season called This Is My Story, These Are My Songs. But he is the star of my story, the redemption of all things, the one that is making all things new. So I hope that you enjoy this season. I hope that you enjoy today's episode as I introduce to this season, my co-host, Chrissy Lothridge, we are so excited to bring you this conversation today. So let's drop in to this conversation. Stay tuned at the very end for a special announcement. Today, I am so excited to bring both my co-host, Chrissy Lothridge, and my friend, my good friend, Becky Wade, to the podcast as we are taking a deep dive into the Enneagram. Today, up First is the Enneagram Type 1. And so first and foremost, I would like to thank my guest. Thank you, Becky, so much for being on the podcast. We have been excited about this conversation. Well, you're welcome. It's a joy to join both of you this way. I know you pretty well. We've been friends for a while now. Uh, And so it's just great to, I guess, get to know you even better by discussing things like personality types. Yeah, you know, and Chrissy tells me I'm a personality sh- uh, test junkie. Would you yes. find that to be true? That Chris? is true. Yes, that is very true. But, uh, but really what I want to do today, Becky, and thank you so much again for being on, because as my listeners listen to the Wednesdays with Watson podcast, they are really looking for healing and they're looking for better understanding of how God made us and, and really how we can walk through trauma and, and how we can live in community. And so we are, we are taking a little bit of a deep dive into the Enneagram because I have found some great healing in it as someone who has experienced trauma. But really, there's no harm in, in, in studying how God made us, right? So we know that he made us in his own image in Genesis 126 and 127. But we also know, and in Psalm 139, he, he made us fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's nobody else on the planet like this. And so just his fingerprint on our lives and really understanding how he made us and how we're different is just so important. And so thank you for doing that. So I have a, a kind of a broad question for you. I'm loving asking this question to, the inter- to, to everyone that's coming on. But because I really want us to, to begin with the most important part is just how precious we are in the sight of God. 
And so have you had any time to think into what is your favorite part about how God made you? That's a great question. I think I'm thankful to him for giving me creativity. I'm thankful to him for making me into someone who is confident, who is ethical. For the most part, I'm quite a positive person. I'm also pretty practical. So I'm really thankful for all those aspects of my personality. Chrissy, would you find Becky practical? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd love it. Yeah, You guys can call me out if at any time I say something about myself that you guys are like, no, we don't think so. Oh, no, I think practical practical hits the nail right on the head. Well, let's go ahead and take this conversation to the Enneagram. And so I'm just going to read... And, and really, everyone is, is responding to this differently because we are different. And so let me read for those of you out here who have identified yourself as a type one, whether you've taken the test or not. I identified myself as a bunch of things, and then I took the test and realized what I really was. But if you are a one, typically, this is your core fear. And we're going we're gonna to dive into this just for a minute. Your core fear is being wrong, bad, immoral, or inappropriate. Now, Chrissy, before we get to Becky, I have a question for you. Because those words seem kind of harsh, actually, right? Yeah. What's a better description in your mind since you you have someone in you in terms of this part of it? I feel like I desire correctness, truthfulness. Right. Okay. So we're going to get back to you in a second because you and Becky have something in common. Um, So you just heard me say what the core fear slash motivation Carissa says in that podcast that this is what drives us. This is the reason why we behave the way we behave. Um, And so tell me how those words resonate with you. Do they describe you? And if not, help us understand any part of it that may describe you. You know, I don't view myself top of mind consciously as being incredibly afraid of being wrong. But there are things that I do and patterns that I have that do show that that's under there. And that is something that I'm trying to avoid. Largely, I view myself as the positive side of that coin, which is someone who is striving to be right. <laughs> and so I guess if you, if, you, if you hear that my fear is being wrong, it makes sense that I would be someone who's striving after being right and pursuing excellence and good decisions. That's more how I view my forward motion in this world. I don't view it necessarily on a daily basis as me running away from being wrong or me having a lot of fear about being wrong. It's more, I'm always seeking to do what is right. Right. And you told me a really, really funny example, something that happens in your life and where this really shines. And I, and I can't wait for Chrissy to hear this. I've been waiting for this. I can't wait for Chrissy to hear this story. So, so you want to be right. And I think, I think that that is a different side of the same coin. But tell me that story because I want, I want this one to hear it. About my son. Yes. So in it just a, just a small example from my daily life of this desire to be right. So it, it, it definitely pertains to big picture ideas and big life decisions, but it also comes down to little minute things like having a conversation with my son and something will come up and he'll say, mom, it's this way. And I'll say, no, 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 it's this way. And, and immediately I have to sort of go to Google and make sure that I can prove that I'm right. And then when I can say that I'm right, it makes me feel so good. Like I'm so kind of like 
content and a little bit smug. <laughs> and I'm like, see, I was right. <laughs> and this plays out in my friendships as well, uh, in my yeah. marriage. I mean, I have really tried to um, not let this get out of hand because it can be really tiresome to be around someone who always has to be right. And so I'm aware of that. And um, I think humility helps. I think compassion helps. But just in, in a laughable way, it's so true that Whenever I'm having, giving someone advice, I like to be right. Or when I'm in a discussion with someone and we disagree, I really like it when I can show that I'm right. So yeah. there's certainly that, that aspect to me, for sure. Amy's most hated phrase from me is, are you sure? <laughs> because she'd be like, I think we're landing on the moon tomorrow. And I'm like, um, are you sure? It kind of actually is working to my advantage. But is that why you do that? Yes. Like I don't care if we're googling if we're if we're talking about the score Anything. the score of the Jaguars game, sure? which is always we lost. But anyway, um, yeah, she'll pick up her phone and Google it, and I'm like, really, is it that important that? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> it is for us ones, <laughs> people that have someone in us. We really like to Google and get yeah, the correct get information. The correct, yes, that makes us feel very satisfied. So here's my question is have you always been this way and that you just really want to be right more than you you seek to be moral or all those things that I just read? Do you think that this has really evolved as you walk with the Lord and or have grown chronologically? So I think that I have always been this way. I think with maturity, I've learned how to sort of gentle um, myself and how to put others first. And, you know, like, like that description of um, Chrissy saying, are you sure? That's actually a very gentle way for someone who thinks they're right to um, broach that subject instead of no, you're wrong. And I can prove, you know, like there's a lot harsher ways. Trust me, I do plenty of times. (laughs) There's a lot harsher ways where we can interact with other people. So I think like Chrissy, I have kind of learned, I hope over time, how to um, put others first, to be humble, to um, just care about people in our interactions with one another. So that's something that has certainly come with with time and with age. How do you feel like being a one in this, in this trait has helped you in life in general and in your career? Yeah, I think in life in general, uh, being a one has really helped me make good decisions. I, I am very clear headed and I'm quite decisive and I feel like that has served me so well. I've been able to make a lot of good decisions as I've walked through life and different phases and stages. And then with my career, I think having this Enneagram one personality type, because if you equate being right with also um, putting out a product that is excellent. So there's a lot of similarity there. It's helps me discern my goals. So I'm a writer. I write um, Christian fiction novels and because I'm seeking this path that is right, I'm trying to write the very best book that I can. And understanding that I want to write the very best book I can has really helped me make decisions surrounding my career. So I write one book a year instead of two, because if I wrote two, 
um, the books would would suffer in quality. And I have chosen this publisher because they can help me make the books better. And I, you know, it's like it's really helped me make decisions based on understanding myself and what's important to me. So those are the ways that my Enneagram One has helped me not only make good life decisions in general in my personal life, but then also benefited my career. Yeah. And you know, one thing I think I'll add here, just in, in knowing you, I think when you couple that with your deep walk with the Lord and the wisdom that that brings, because Chrissy and I get the opportunity to really do life with you in, in both veins, both friendship and even in your writing. And it's been really cool to me as an alleged writer, that that you spend so much time in front of the Lord. And so not only is how, and your recognition of this is how God made me, I need it to be in all in this vein, and you're, you're going before the Lord. What a perfect one-two punch. And the purpose of doing this deep dive on the Enneagram is for people to understand that about themselves. And so I really, really love that. So I want to move on to this hallmark of the type one is the inner critic. And Carissa went so far as to say in the type one, she called the inner critic aloud. She called it mean. Talk to me about your experience with the inner critic, and more specifically, because I loved in our pre-interview how you told me this inner critic serves you well, because I want other type ones out there to know that you can flip this thing on its ear, and it can serve you well. And you gave me a very specific example of that. Talk to us about that. Yes, I think that the one of the trademark uh, pieces of the Enneagram One personality is this inner critic. In my case, I don't necessarily resonate with a very loud and mean inner critic. I've never lived in anybody else's head, but in my own head, I don't feel like I go through life with this loud, mean inner critic. So a lot of Enneagram ones might feel that way and they might identify with that very strongly. In my case, uh, it's not that so much. It doesn't come out that particular way where it's just with me all day, you know, passing judgment and commenting on, on my life. Here's one example of where it would come out. And actually in this particular example, it's a helpful way. Uh, because I'm a writer, part of writing is rough draft writing. And then the second phase is rewriting. And you have to be in two very different headspaces to accomplish those two phases. When you're rough draft writing, you're just trying to enjoy, you're trying to be creative, you're trying to have fun. When you're rewriting, this is when you have to actually turn this pile of Play-Doh into a Play-Doh masterpiece. (laughs) (laughs) And so at this phase, this is when you need to put on your editor hat. You need to read the book through. You need to discern everything that is wrong so that you'll know what you need to address when you go back and you rewrite it page by page. When I put on my editor hat and I read the book, I have absolutely no problem seeing every single thing that is wrong. And I think that's my inner critic. It has um, a strong awareness of every (laughs) single mistake that I've made, everything that's weak, everything that's not working. And with my writing, as hard as it is to read something and think, oh, my goodness, this is really not strong. This has a long way to go. As hard as it is, having that discernment 
has been a huge asset to my writing because now I know how to fix it and what needs to be fixed. So that has really um, actually with my writing been very helpful. And when I go to my critique group, I have these beginning writers that I mentor. I read their work and they many times cannot see the deficiencies in their fellow critique members work. But I can because of this inner critic. So if I read their work, it's not just my own work where I can see the flaws. If I read their work, I can see the flaws. They actually jump out at me and I have no problem. In, in fact, what I have to do is with them, uh, as speaking of this gentling, this interpersonal <laughs> thing that's so important with other people, I have to de decide, okay, these are the most important things they need to work on first. And all these other things that are wrong, maybe we're not worrying about those tonight. Or maybe I'll just jot a little note in the margin. I won't verbally speak this to them. Because I can see so many mistakes, so many mistakes. Yes. <laughs> without difficulty. Yeah, I was going to ask, does it sort of jump out at you? And you did, you answered that. Yeah, yeah and Carissa actually mentions like they're not like in real life you're not looking for uh, i bet you drive down the street and see every typo on every marquee <laughs> and it, it, that's a busy head for sure but um yeah carissa mentioned that that this inner critic would serve to um to uh, basically you just can't help but find the errors and so i can see why in writing being an author and a very good one at that and we're going to put becky's information in the show notes uh, she is a Christie award-winning author and really one of my favorite, and I'm not ashamed to say that on a podcast where other people will listen. And so so when we get off this interview, my manuscript has been FedEx to you. And I was, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Christy, you had a question. <laughs> After that, you still want me as your editor? You're that brave? Wow. Uh, Christy, you had a question uh, pertaining the inner critic. Has the inner critic ever um, served to indict you for something outside of your control? Yes. I think one of the hard things is that I tend to feel very, very responsible, especially for my children, but also for my pets, anyone that's in my home. So if I ever have an anxiety dream, the dream is always uh, me failing to do something that I needed to do for one of my kids or one of my pets. Like it's always this very innate high level of responsibility that I feel towards them. Um, even subconsciously, like just deep down, I feel very responsible. So last December, my husband caught COVID at work and he brought it home and we went through all, you know, the quote unquote right steps. We quarantined him. We had him tested. It was negative. So then he, you know, came and interacted with our family well, it turned out that he did have COVID and he just had a negative test. It was a false negative and we all ended up getting COVID. And it wasn't my fault, but my inner critic really wanted to indict me for that. It wanted to say, you know, you should have done this differently. You should have done that differently. And that was one of the hard things about not only was I physically sick, but mentally I had a hard time working through that. And accepting that, you know, that was not true. It really wasn't my fault. Yeah. And my inner critic was harming me yeah. at a time when I was already just struggling to recover. Right. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if the fact that you're a firstborn, too, is kind of like an extra helping of that super responsibility 
too. Yeah. Oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a double whammy. A double whammy for sure. Well, you, and you just kind of referred to this a little bit. And it's a nice segue into my next question for you is, as you know, and you know me well enough to know that this podcast and its mission is about trauma. And it started, speaking of COVID, with uh, my complete inability to, to write my own manuscript. And so I got behind this microphone and began talking. But really, my listeners have experienced trauma. And, and they are looking for ways to understand themselves better. For my, so for my Enneagram ones out there, I was wondering if, if you could share with us a time where you experienced loss as an Enneagram one. And what happened after that? What was your response to that loss? Well, just an example that is very, very recent. Just a week ago, our older, beloved 11 and a half year old dog passed away. And I was the family member responsible for him. I was the one who made all of the decisions concerning his health, his veterinary appointments, his food, his care. Um, And I absolutely loved him. So when he passed away, it was just a knee-jerk reaction for that inner critic to swing around and hit me. So not only was I experiencing loss and grief, just that really sharp grief you feel when you lose a beloved pet, but my inner critic was uh, on steroids in that moment. It was like telling me that, once again, it was somehow my fault. You know, I had made a bad decision concerning him. I hadn't got him the medicine he needed when he needed it. I hadn't made sure X, Y, Z. It just went on and on. It was just a lot of blame that came back around toward me. How did you walk it back? Because this is a center point of this podcast. I loved, loved, loved how you told me you walked this back. So I have people in my life that I'm very close with who love me and who I love, who, who trust me and who I trust. And so I can say in moments like this where the inner critic does get off the chain, I can say to them, hey, this is where my thoughts are going. And they can say to me, that is not truth. Um, here's what's true. God took him because it was his time. Right. And you did the best you could. And you loved him the best you could. And, you know, having that community, those people to be really vulnerable with and confide in and actually say, here's where my head is really at right now. And then being able to speak truth into you in that moment and just provide comfort and reassurance and relatability is everything. Yeah, so so my message to my listeners out there um, who are um, who identify as an Enneagram type one, particularly with loss and trauma, this is going to be the tool that the enemy uses against you. He is going to make that voice loud. He is going to make that voice mean. And so, as you all know, if you've been following this podcast for any amount of time, one of our three C's is community. And what Becky has just beautifully explained to us is she is aware, and that is part of Enneagram work, is being aware of how God made you, being aware that that voice is not a voice from God. It is not a voice filtered through Philippians 4, 8 with all of those eight things. Is it praiseworthy, excellent, true, noble, good report? There are three more of those. But it, but in this case, those thoughts in your mind, those inner critic, that inner critic was not telling you the truth. And so for my listeners out there, I want you to hear her and that when she had that significant loss 
And if any of you have ever lost a pet, you know what we are talking about. When she had that significant loss, the go-to place was the inner critic, was the, and she could have chosen to live in unhealth at that time and continue to beat herself up, or she could have chosen to use the community that God has given her. And if you don't have that community, you know, there is a community on Facebook by the same name, Wednesdays with Watson podcast, and we will be that community for you because you need a voice of reason, a voice of truth. Um, in your life. And so you referred to, Chrissy had a particular question about COVID-19. And I think because you have so much one in you, this is a good question for, for you to ask Becky next. Um, yeah, as, as a type one in the early days of the pandemic, um, when all the information was coming at us, how was it for you uh, as an Enneagram one? I know how it was for me. It wasn't there. <laughs> it was it was awful in a word. It was terrible. I think in retrospect, looking back at it through the filter of being an Enneagram one, I think what was tricky is that the information was so conflicting, I didn't know what to think or believe or understand. And I didn't know how to make a right decision hmm. in that in that spot. You know, what gives me comfort and feeling of security is okay, I, I know what is right and I can do what is right. So if I don't know what is right, I feel very much like I'm being tossed around on a stormy sea. Yes. Yes. I felt that a million times over. Did yes. you guys feel paralyzed? I felt paralyzed, but that's a six. That's a total six thing too. So no, I didn't feel paralyzed. I just, when I, when I am in a situation like that, I act. So, you know, I'm like, cleaning my house a lot or I'm like weeding, which I never do. Like I'm not weeding. I'm just being like super productive all the time as a way maybe to try to combat my feeling of helplessness. It's like, well, here's some things I can do. And so I'm going to do this so that I don't feel yeah. so helpless. Yeah, that, that, makes that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And so, yeah, so for Enneagram type ones out there, as it pertains to COVID-19, uh, I kept referring to things as the middle of the pandemic, the end of the, the beginning of the pandemic. I don't even know where we are on that because the fact of the matter is, is these things are still coming at you guys. I mostly was just, I'm a two who has a zero wing one and me none, except for, I, you know, I, I'd like to be upstanding in character, but I, I don't have any of that one in me. So I winged to the three and I went achiever mode and, and things of that nature. So, so for the ones out there, we are recording this in 2021 and month. 20 or 21 of, of a global pandemic with information still largely coming at us where we don't know whether it's accurate, right, or true. And so I would just encourage Enneagram ones out there who are feeling this to not be overwhelmed by the amount of information. And you're not alone. There's a lot of other people feeling the same way and, and know that that is normal. Normal. And, and, and yeah, go back to your corner and get back to, to the Lord and your community and all, all the different things. The community you know. and remembering if you're confused about what is the information coming at you as it pertains to the pandemic or anything of that matter. And this has served me so well. We just heard Chrissy um, laughingly say to me, she'll say to me something like, are you sure? I'm often not sure, not because I'm not confident, but just because I'm often wrong uh, on things. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I don't know what that feels like because I'm always right. <laughs> Amen, Becky. Well, well and Becky, Wade, we don't, we don't have a whole language 
<laughs> branded for you like we do with Watsonese either. So there's that. Um, but one of my favorite questions, and this actually comes from, it came from the heart of one Chrissy Lothridge. I'm going to ask it and Go you can it. add to it, Chris. But in times of stress and trauma, when you tell us as an Enneagram type one, like if you could just pretend like your closest friends and family are around you, what would you want them to know so that we can do, and I put we in there because I'm your friend and sure. and, and yeah, Chris well, too, so that we can do life better with you in whatever vein we are doing that in, whether it's work or play or whatever. How can we love you better? How can we help you? How can we help the ones in our lives thrive yeah. and, and, and be the best they can be? I think for sure what we already touched on, which is speaking truth, having those close relationships with them where they can confess the times when they feel like they're wrong Mm -hmm. and they messed up and their inner critic is um, really beating them down. So I think that that is super key. As much as ones want to be right, they won't always be. So Mm -hmm. helping them understand that that's okay, Mm -hmm. that when they're wrong with you, that you forgive them for that and love them despite of that, I think is huge. For me, there's a lot of freedom in admitting my own imperfection and for people who love me to love me despite those imperfections too. For me to love myself despite those imperfections and for the people in my life to love me despite them as well. And I think that the the one part that I do resonate with the ones, and maybe this is the achiever in me, is that I want people to, to, I want, I mean, I want people to love me for, for what I do and for how well I do it. You know, like this podcast is a great example of that. I want it to be excellent, but I also want the freedom to, uh, I had an episode where literally my dog was drinking water in the background and we could not edit it out. And, and so, you know, I want, I want people to know that too. And so I think that is, that is the snapshot of, of the one and that you guys need just as much grace as those of us who aren't as right as often. And yeah, we need to be looking out for you too, and that you're giving yourself that that grace. One of my favorite things that Krista Harrison, who was on the podcast and is my Enneagram coach, has shared with me, and it's been a game changer for me, is she asked me this after every every session I have with her is, two questions, but this one resonates here, is how can you show compassion for yourself? Yes. I think ones need to have a lot of compassion for themselves. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And as she mentioned, it's, and I quote, it's hard to be a one, is, is, what, <laughs> is, what, is what Chris has said. And so, Becky, we believe that your episode will be the first in this series to drop. And because of that, I do want to quickly, and because I know this is so, so your heart and a theme in many, many of your books, is this idea of identity. We are not trying to pigeonhole anyone into an Enneagram number. You are not your Enneagram number, but we are something. We are something. We do identify as something. And I would love to know, can you speak to identity? Why you have spent numerous words and books talking about it? Why is it important? I think what I've learned for myself in my own life is that I am most joyful and most at peace, uh, closest to the heart of God when I am not viewing myself based on my performance. I think a lot of us struggle with viewing ourselves on our performance, but perhaps Enneagram Ones might struggle with that even more. So when I'm not 
basing my worth on my performance, but instead on my identity as a daughter of the king who is fully approved, fully forgiven, fully accepted, and fully loved, that's when I'm my healthiest. And so constantly I'm working to orient myself around that identity, which is my truest identity, because it's easy for me to get a little bit off course and look for my identity other places. But when I'm there in that place where the Lord is the one supplying my identity, I feel very secure and at peace. And you know, the thing I love about that is, especially for Enneagram type one, is in the completed work of Jesus on the cross, guess what we always are all the time in front of the God of the universe? We are right. We are good. We are sanctified, justified, all the theological terms. We are all of those things. And so we see in 1 Peter 2.9 how we are co-heirs with Jesus. And so for those of you out there listening, I think that when if you can identify yourself with who God sees who you are, and I tell this story often as, as we begin to end the podcast, I, had a, I was at a speaking engagement about, about eight or nine years ago. And like you, Becky, I have a propensity to define myself in, an, in another vein. And, and mine is performance, but it's this big Amy Watson story, right? And so I was there speaking on 60 Seconds of Courage, and the pastor said to me, who are you? Can you tell the, can you introduce yourself? Who are you? And normally I would have just kind of had a litany of all that I had been through and degrees and, and, and all of this. But instead, it was like the words weren't even mine. I said this. And listeners, I want you to hear me because all you need to do is put your name in here. But these are the words that came out of my mouth. My name is Amy Watson, and I am the daughter, the precious daughter of the Most High God. And so guys out there, regardless of what your Enneagram number is or your Myers-Briggs or your your strength finders or any of those, finding your identity in the completed work on the cross and what Jesus did for you is everything. It is why we do this podcast. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, my contact information is in the show notes as Annie F. Down says, I am embarrassingly easy to find on social media. I am sure that Becky would also, whose information will be in the, in the show notes, we would love to introduce you to our Jesus because at the end of the day, we stand spotless. You, Enneagram Ones, stand right and good and moral in front of Almighty God of the universe. Amen. That brought tears to my eyes. That was, that was you being a friend to me and to your listeners by speaking that truth over us because... That was like water on dry ground. Mm. The finished work of Jesus on the cross is everything. It's everything, and it's the only thing. And so, guys, thank you so much for listening. I would highly, highly encourage you to look in the show notes, click on how to contact Becky. As I mentioned, she is a Chrissy Award-winning author of Christian Contemporary Fiction, which is, and she is an amazing creative writer, but more importantly, Her books have deep, deep faith themes, and one of the things, Becky, that I love, and then came you, which is the novella for your Bradford series, is I have it highlighted on every Kindle, every book, every hard copy book, is the lie I told myself today was fill in the blank. 
So Enneagram ones out there as we close out the podcast, the lie you told yourself today is that you're not good, you're not right, you're not that you're blemished in front of a almighty God. That is a lie. And we're here to help you remind you of that. So Becky, thank you so much for being here today. I want to close out the podcast with you as I close out all of them. And I'm going to try to do this without crying. I can't even look at you right now. Um, <laughs> because as I'm interviewing my friends, this becomes way more real. But I believe this you and I want to speak this over you. And Chrissy, I want to speak it over you too. You are loved, you are seen, you are heard, you are known, and you are valued just for being you. So thank you for being here with us today. I I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Amy and Chrissy. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Hey, guys, thank you so much for your time. I always mention, because I want to make sure that I recognize that Time is not something we're making more of, and I'm always honored when you choose to spend a little bit of your time with us. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Becky Wade as she represented the Enneagram Type 1. We have some very special bonus content over on my Patreon account that we are calling AC Chat, where Chrissy and I have a conversation after the interview. And you can find that link just by clicking the Contact Amy in the show notes and then clicking on the Patreon link. For now, that content is absolutely free. It's especially free to subscribers and sponsors. But for the first nine episodes, we wanted to provide this AC chat for everyone. And so if you are interested in listening to a short conversation about this interview with Becky Wade, head on over to the Patreon link and listen to our conversation after the interview. Until we see you back here in two weeks where we will cover the Enneagram Type 2, I want to remind you of what I always do. You are seen, you are known, you are heard, you are loved, and you are valued. Make sure you come back to the Healing Zone in two weeks where we will have more coverage of the Enneagram bringing up Type 2. Let my life glorify you and teach me to walk beside you. And I want to be more like you, so let me.